So you'd like to turn your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read through verse, uh, from verse 5 through to 15. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's just pray a minute now, just before we consider these words. And as we conclude in prayer, I want us then to recite together the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your leading already through the songs that we have sung, which have declared the wonderful gospel, the fact that we are saved by grace, that as sinners we are able to enter the very throne room of, of Almighty God, that we are able to come to our Heavenly Father, and we are able to open our hearts to him because of what Christ has done for us already. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, which has been left with us on earth to minister to us, would do that. Father, I pray that you would just help us to stay alert. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to grasp hold of what you have to say to us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that you would shake us, that you would wake us, Lord, that we would see Jesus high and lifted. And Lord, that we would worship you, even as we listen this morning. Minister to each of us, Lord, I pray. That includes myself, Lord. I need you more than ever as I stand here today. But we all need you, Lord. We all need you to work in our lives, to change us, to make us more like the people that you want us to be, so that we become more like our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, we pray, as we enter this time together. And let's say together now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Now, I don't know what words you just spoke, but I suspect the Lord's Prayer for many of us is ingrained in our memories, isn't it? From a very young age, probably, when you were at school, perhaps, or when you were in Sunday school. For me, it was saying the Lord's Prayer daily in Welsh at school. I can't say it now, I'm ashamed to say, but it's there. And I'm sure that if I was to take a poll, in fact, we'll do that now. Partway through that Lord's Prayer, we say, what do we say? Forgive us our trespasses. Who says trespasses? Put your hands up. Yeah? Anybody say debts? No? Anybody say sins? Okay. So the majority, I think, trespasses, would you say? Strange, isn't it? In our reading, it's debts, and that's actually probably the most accurate translation of the original Greek. But those words are so familiar to us, we say them almost without thinking, don't we? We don't have to think about what we're saying. And when we recite the Lord's Prayer, I know some people say, oh, we shouldn't do it because we're just saying words. We don't really mean them. But I think, you know, I understand the motives behind those sort of ideas, but the reality of it is when we recite the Lord's Prayer, we are speaking the words of God. We're reciting scripture, and that is wonderful to be able to do. But Jesus already in this chapter has warned against the futility of just speaking words, of just praying and reciting things from memory. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. We are engaging with our Heavenly Father. And prayer, you see, is, is a privilege. It's only for us as believers. It's a gift. It's a grace. It enables us as his children to speak to Almighty God in and through the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And it should be as natural for a believer as breathing. But notice how Jesus, as he leads his disciples in this prayer, he says, this is how you should pray then, in this manner. That's what other versions say. So we can deduce from Jesus' words at the very outset that, that this is a framework that he is trying to teach his disciples, that he is teaching us also. It's a guide to help us develop and deepen our prayer life. So don't be afraid to recite the Lord's Prayer, but dwell on the words as you say them. Allow them to sink into your soul and to stir your heart so that you come to understand who our Father is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives. I just want to make one more opening remark before we get to the text proper, and that, and that is this. If you ever read this account in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, we read these words. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, these disciples were Jews. They were Hebrews. They had been brought up from a very early age to pray. And as Gordon told us last week, the prayers which they recited every day, there were many. The most famous, of course, was from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel. 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These were words that they spoke every morning and every night and filled in through the day. There were many other prayers that they could recite, many from scripture, many liturgies. But they had become so familiar with those words that the, perhaps they really didn't understand what they were saying. And just like it is for us sometimes, we can just roll off the tongue the Lord's Prayer without really understanding what they mean. And as we journey through Matthew, you've heard Josh and others say that we want to get back to the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? But here, and especially in Luke's gospel, as I've said, we can also pay attention to what God did, what Jesus did, not just what he said. And the disciples had observed that it was Jesus' pattern to go away and pray every day. And pray in a way which he opened up his heart to the Father. Now, you know, we sometimes struggle to pray, don't we? I certainly do. And I thank God that we have so many scriptures, especially from the Psalms, that we can, that we can read, that we can use as prayers in those moments when we don't have the words. And that is wonderful. It's a great blessing that we have scripture. But what Jesus wanted the disciples to do is to go a step beyond, is to develop their prayer life, to understand that we can open our hearts to our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus has done and by the enabling of his Spirit. So the disciples had noticed that Jesus prayed differently. It wasn't just ritual. There was a real depth a real feeling. You know, they could have asked him, Jesus, teach us how to perform miracles. They could have said, Lord, teach us how to tell those wonderful parables that really engage with people. But no, they saw the importance of prayer and they asked Jesus, teach us, teach us how to pray, how to communicate with God the Father. And so in these verses, we're going to focus on how we are able to come into God's presence to ask him for the things that we need. Now, if you remember last week, Gordon focused on what's commonly called the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Remember those? And they very much focus on God. They very much correctly and rightly start our prayers with adoring God the Father. And if you remember also that Gordon referred to a, a verse in Ecclesiastes about how we are to enter God's presence in prayer. Uh, and he said this, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. You see, when we pray, God wants us to think about what we're doing. He wants to, us to engage our minds. That doesn't mean that it's not full of emotion. Of course it is. And so these principles that Jesus gave his disciples, that he gave us, are there to help us. They're not a, some sort of strict rule that's going to trip us up. Because there are 
as you look in scripture, there are many long prayers which follow a really simple pattern. You've often heard, I'm sure, the acrostic acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, that way of, of framing and, and, and preparing our prayers so they are acceptable to God. Sadly, our prayers are often scats rather than acts. We often load, front load our prayers with everything that we think we need and more. And we somehow fit in adoration to our Heavenly Father somewhere else in the prayer. But you know, there are times, times when we are in need that we can just cry out to the Father. We mustn't forget that. We mustn't think this is some sort of tick box exercise. This is about knowing the heart of our Father God who wants to hear us pray. So when Jesus said in verse five there, when you pray, it was an implicit command that we should pray, not just when we're in times of trouble, but every day, because we should want to seek out our Father. So here in, in verses 11 to 13, that's gonna be the real focus, we have what are known as the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth petitions. These are our requests that we can bring to God the Father. So let's have a look at the first. Give us today our daily bread, excuse me. Now, the, when I looked, started to look at this, apparently the, the, the Greek word which is used in the original translations for daily it, it is extremely rare in, in the Bible. It's only used here and in Luke's account of these events. And there's been a bit of discussion over time, you know what academics can be like. But the reality of it is, and generally accepted, is that when we pray for our daily bread, we are praying for our immediate physical needs for today and tomorrow. And it harks back, I think, to the provision of the manna that God provided for Israel when they were in the wilderness. Do you remember the, the account in Exodus 16? Let me read a little bit from there for you. Exodus 16, the entire Israelite community departed from Elim, that's not the church down the road, and came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt, the entire Israelite community grumbled. We do that, don't we? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. It's amazing how our stomachs rule our minds sometimes, isn't it? Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. And this is what our gracious Lord says in response. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. See, God is so wonderful. He, he didn't provide them daily bread because they grumbled. He provided all that they needed because he loved them. And he loves us. And he wants to do that for us. But notice how in that story back in Exodus, how it develops. 
they couldn't get it through their heads that they were just to go out every day and gather in enough. Some wanted to gather and hoard, but it rotted because they overlooked the fact they didn't trust God to provide their daily needs. Such is God's provision for us. He provides our needs each and every day, not our greeds. And he requires us to trust him in every moment and not worry beyond today. And in fact, if you, if you continue to read through chapter 6, as I'm sure we'll get to in a few weeks, Jesus continues this theme of teaching. And in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life spanned by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much for for you, you of little faith? That's us, isn't it? Often that is us. We need to grasp the magnitude of what God is saying to us in this passage as his children. He wants us to understand and not worry about anything that the future might hold because as much as we would like to think so, we are not in control. He is. He will provide every physical need for our lives, our food, our clothes, our home, our jobs, every aspect. And he knows what we need even before we pray or even think about what to pray. That's what we are told in verse 8. He knows. What a wonderful father. So don't worry about what we will eat or what we will drink. That's what the word says. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own you see god provides sufficient grace for us each and every day for whatever the trial of the day he provides for our needs but this is this is the wonderful thing he wants us to return to him every day Give us today our daily bread. That means we have to come back to him every morning and thank him for the day that's passed and ask him for our needs for the day to come, for that fresh dose of grace that we will need. You know, if Israel had been provided with a monthly supply of manna, they would have very quickly forgotten about God's provision, wouldn't they? They would have quickly forgotten about how God had blessed them. And if we want to develop our relationship with God, then we need to come before him in prayer each and every day. Otherwise, we will oh so quickly grow cold. And as we sing a little bit later, we will wander from him.
That is the nature of humankind, isn't it? To forget. And yet our Father knows our weaknesses. He knows that we have a tendency to wander and that he beckons us to come every day, every day for a fresh blessing. But not only that, you know, the other reason that we need to come every day is that life has a terrible habit of throwing up the unexpected, doesn't it? We can be fine one day and the next day we can be ill. We can have an accident. We can have heartache. Something new can come across us. And unless we come to our Father, then we have no means of dealing with that. You know, in the West especially, we can be so self-sufficient, can't we? We think we've got it all sewn up. We've got the job. We've got the pension pot running nicely. Thank you very much. We've got everything we need. And yet we've got brothers and sisters around this world who do not know where their next meal is coming from. They do not know if they are going to be thrown in prison tomorrow, whether they will be beaten for their faith. They are fully aware of how fragile life is. And I suspect that at times we forget that. Let's not. Let's come to the Father. Let's come to the font of every blessing. You know, we don't come demanding. We don't come like a, a petulant child. God, I want, I want, give me, give me, give me. But we should come as a child who depends on his father, who comes and says, Father, I cannot, but you can. Bless me, I ask. Bless me this day. And the, what I love about this prayer is that, you know, we often focus on those first three petitions, rightly so, about bringing glory to God's name. But even in these petitions, even when we are asking for what we need, we can turn that back into praise. Because when God gives to us what we need, what do we do? We thank him, we praise him. And we can look back over time and we can say, Lord, I bless you because yesterday you blessed me with this. The day before you got, you got me this, you gave me all that I need. And we should be able to look back over our lifetime as a Christian and acknowledge that how good God has been. And so even when we are asking for our needs, we can praise God. How wonderful he is. How wonderful he is. But why is it that we can have the audacity to ask, give me our daily bread? It seems a little bit pushy, doesn't it? But you see, we need to remember, as we've sung this morning already, where we are, who we are in Christ. Because we have been adopted into his family. And we are able to come into his presence because of what Christ has done. Some may ask, well, if God knows what we need, what is the point? What is the point of asking for it? If he knows, when he just give it to us? I'm going to read a quote now from somebody who has ex explained this far better than I can. It's a quote from John Calvin who said this. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse to seek him. It stirs our heart. 
that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others all good things. I can't do better than that. God knows what we need, but he loves to hear us tell him and ask him because it raises our confidence in him and it raises our faith levels and it brings glory to his wonderful name. So that's the first request. Give us our daily bread. The second is this, and forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins. But in our reading, it says debts. Notice that in, in these three petitions that we are focusing on this morning, we have that word and. And forgive us our debts and our daily bread. And don't lead us into temptation. Not in that order, but it's there. But in the, in, in the first three petitions, they can almost stand alone. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And God, in his wisdom, in giving us this Lord's Prayer, realises that we need all three elements of these petitions. We need provision for our physical needs. We need forgiveness of sins. And we need help not to sin again. But also notice within this prayer that you never read the words I, me, or my. But rather, it is our Father. It's not my daily bread. It's our daily bread. And it's not our debts or trespasses. It's not our, my debts or trespasses. It's our debts or trespasses. And this is a real reminder of the collective nature of what we're doing here as a church, of how we are bound together because of Christ, and how when we pray, we don't just pray for our own needs, we should be praying for the needs of our brothers and sisters, and indeed for the wider world that God would provide. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Lord's Prayer is, is ingrained in our memories, isn't it? And often when we recite it, we word, use the word trespass rather than debts or sins. And, and all of these words are completely valid. The word sin literally means to miss the target, the target that's been set by God, the target of pure obedience. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's a pretty damning statement, isn't it? Because there seems to be no hope. But in verse 24, Paul says this, they are free, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 22, we also read, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. See, when we are initially irresistibly drawn to Christ and experience the new, the new life that we are given, when our heart of stone, as the prophet Ezekiel describes it as, is replaced with a heart of flesh, which then beats for God, we live in a different way. We understand that we've been forgiven our sin because of what Christ did on the cross. But we can't overlook the fact that we still sin. Now, I have to say, if you're a Christian and you think that you no longer sin, then you need to have a real good chat with one of the elders here. Because I, for one, know that I still fail 
I still sin. I still miss that mark on a daily basis. But the word used in the NIV that we've read is this word debt. And as I said, that is, that is probably the most accurate translation of the original Greek. And it, as we enter this cost of living crisis, I'm sure that, that debt will become a very real thing for an awful lot of people again. But thank the Lord, we have laws and we have organisations like Christians Against Poverty, which help people in those situations. But back in first century Jerusalem, back in Palestine, in Israel at that time, the disciples would have known how, how dreadful it would have been to have fallen into debt. It had dire consequences for your life. There were no bankruptcy laws that protected you. And in chapter 18 of Matthew, if you remember, Jesus told a parable about an unforgiving servant. Do you remember that one? About this man who owed the king such a huge amount of money, he could never hope to repay it. And when the king called him and said, I want my money, he just fell on his mercy and said, I cannot pay I cannot pay. And the king showed him mercy and wrote off the debt. But what did that servant do? Do you remember what he did? He then promptly ran, ran out and grabbed one of his fellow servants by the throat and said, you owe me a couple of quid. I want my money now. What a dreadful story. This miserable unforgiving servant who had been shown so much mercy and grace failed to pass it on and you know we have experienced such forgiveness in that Jesus Christ has paid our debt the debt that we owed to God has been removed it's been repaid it's been settled in full by Christ on behalf of us as sinners but such is the importance of this topic about forgiveness is that if you notice in chapter 6, Jesus adds a footnote to his prayer. In verses 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. Now, it may seem like a bit of a contradiction when we read this. And Jesus isn't suggesting that somehow we can lose our salvation if we don't forgive. We need to understand that we are not forgiven by God because we forgive others, but we are forgiven by God because what he has done for us. He's done it, it's grace. We receive forgiveness as his children and we must learn to pass that on. We receive, we receive grace and we must learn to pass that on. And likewise, we receive his love and we must pass that on. That is a sign of a Christian. Our hearts have been changed so that we reflect all that our Heavenly Father is. So if we are easily upset by what people say and do and we dig our heels in and we won't forgive then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives, to examine our hearts and to change us. And if we continually dig our heels in and will not forgive, then bitterness will take root. And ultimately, 
it will destroy us. And we need to seriously ask ourselves, am I born again? Because the character of a Christian should reflect the character of Christ. Now, I know we can all be hypocritical in our prayers. I'm not saying that we're perfect. We can stand in church and we can sit in life group and we can spout the most wonderful prayers, eloquent, full of good theology. But we cannot deceive ourselves if we are holding back on forgiving others because our Father can see our hearts. We can recite the Lord's Prayer until we're blue in the face. But unless we forgive others, then our relationship will be damaged with our Father. And our relationship with each other will be damaged. And that bond of unity that we are called to preserve at all costs, that is so central to the function of the church, will be damaged. John Stott said this about how we receive mercy and forgiveness from God. He says, we cannot receive the mercy and the forgiveness of God unless we repent. And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. We can't have it our way. We can't be like that unforgiving servant who wanted to be released from his debt, but unwilling to forgive his debtor. So what about, what about that poor redundant word trespass that we, that we recite? Why don't we read that in the Bible? Well, if you've got one of these little books, the common book of prayer, if maybe if you were brought up in an Anglican church, you will find that that word trespass is used in the Lord's Prayer. And this was first published in 1549, but that word actually comes from a translation from uh, the original languages into English, the very first English Bible that was translated by a man called William Tyndale. It's a great man of God who paid ultimately for his work with his life. And we can only speculate why he used the word trespass. But I think actually, when we take the word debt and trespass and sins into account, when we're thinking about what we have done to offend God, it gives us a real rounded understanding of how serious sin is and how wonderful God has dealt with those things. You know what the word trespass means. It means when you overstep a mark. You've seen it on land, haven't you? Private land, trespassers will be prosecuted. It reminds us that there is a line in the sand which God has drawn his law and we should not step over it, but we often do. But I wonder whether this whole notion of having to forgive others may cause a little bit of confusion for us. So I just want to explain that a little bit more so we fully understand it, because I think it will really impact our prayers if we don't really grasp what Jesus is saying. I think firstly, we need to remember that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of a, a believer. It's not the prayer of an unbeliever. Only believers can refer to God as our Father. Because as I've already said, we've been adopted into his family. We've been reconciled. But forgiveness is an important aspect of our Christian life, isn't it? Our sins have been forgiven. We have, as the theologians call it, experienced judicial forgiveness. This means that when we first come to Christ, and we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness, 
That judicial debt has been cleared, it's been paid. That which we owed God for violating his law has been removed from us. It's been settled and it's been settled in full. My most favourite chapter in, in, in scripture is probably Romans 8. And that talks about the fact that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I do fail. I do sin. We all do. But I am completely confident because of what Christ has done for me. I know that I don't have to rely on my own goodness and my own ability to call Father. To say, my God and my Father. So judicial forgiveness changes our position before God. It's a once-only once act. So what Jesus is talking about here is parental forgiveness. He's saying when you offend your father, go ask for forgiveness. Because ultimately, whatever we do, even if we, if we sin against somebody else, we are sinning first and foremost against God. So we have to go to him and ask for forgiveness. We also have to go to the individual and ask for forgiveness. Of course we do. But the, the idea here, here is that we need to maintain that, those relationships with our God. We need to maintain the relationships one with the other. We need to keep that harmony. Just think about it in your home. If you offend your wife or you upset and rile your children for no good reason and you don't put it right, just, you know what the atmosphere can be like in your home. Unpleasant, yeah, I know, I've heard. So we have to put it right. And we do so because that brings us joy. Who wouldn't want to be in sweet communion with their Heavenly Father? The person who loves you more than anybody else. So strive to forgive. Ask for help to forgive, but also ask for help not to sin again. And that brings us to our, our third petition. Do not lead us into temptation. Now, we know, don't we, from our studies back in James, that God does not tempt us. James 1, 13 to 15 says this. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Isn't that the truth? We don't need any help from anybody else. We sin because we've got that constant battle in our, in our lives. And, you know, we can quickly maybe blame God, but it's not God's fault. God, in fact, provides the way out. He provides us the means to escape and run from temptation. So in this final petition, we are to ask our Father to help us not to fall back into sin. Do you see the pattern? We ask for forgiveness, and we don't want to go back there. So we have to ask then for God to empower us and help us not to sin again, not to leave us 
to our own evil desires. And we all know what our weak, or where our weaknesses are, where our Achilles heel is. We all know those things that we constantly trip up on, those things that rattle us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and this is a wonderful promise, no temptation has come over you, upon you, except what is common to humanity. But God, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. So don't despair. On those days when trials come, ask God to provide your daily bread. Ask him to provide the grace that you need not to fall into temptation. Ask him to forgive you for the sins that you have committed. And be confident in what he has done and doing in your life. Don't despair. So as we draw things to a conclusion, I, I truly hope that these last two weeks in focusing on the Lord's Prayer have been really helpful to you. I'm sure that as we continue through our studies in Matthew, that we will maybe return to the Lord's Prayer in our own quiet times and we will maybe read through it and really understand the words that we are saying. Jesus wants us to learn how to pray. He wants us to understand what the heart of the Father is for his children. Remember that it is not about me, it's not about you. It's about us as his children. Remember that it's about him first and foremost. His name, his renown, his glory, his kingdom and his will. And if we get those things right, then everything else should fall into place. Our daily needs will be met. Forgiveness will be ours. And the strength not to sin will be there and will be available to us. This prayer reminds us of the incalculable forgiveness which we have already been shown that huge debt that has been taken from us. You know, God can't overlook sin, but he has provides a way for us to be forgiven. If you don't know him as Lord and Saviour this morning, then I would urge you to run to him now and cry out to him and ask him for his forgiveness and repent of your sins. And if you're a Christian, don't ever forget that you have been forgiven. You sin, but you are a forgiven sinner. And keep short accounts with him. Come to him and ask him for that fuel that we need to walk in a way which is pleasing to him. And before we finish with a couple of songs, I'm just going to pray again. And I'm going to read a prayer which I came across, which is based on the Lord's Prayer. And it just expounds on it and helps us to understand exactly what we're saying. So let's just bow our heads just as I pray this prayer. Our Father, you are seated on a throne of glory in the highest heaven, and we bow down before your awful presence with humble reverence, even as we approach you with the confidence that we are your children and you are our bountiful and compassionate parent. We join our prayers to you with hearts full of brotherly love and ask for each other the blessing 
that we seek for ourselves. Above all, we desire your glory. May your name be set apart and holy. May the whole world of living creatures join us to give you the honour you so deserve and require. May your kingdom come and your will be done among us. Help us to know, understand and pursue your kingdom. And may your will always wise and gracious be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Teach us mortals to resign ourselves to you in obedience, the same way your angels in heaven obey you. As for ourselves, Lord, help us not to seek the grand things of life. Help us not to worry about the future, but we humbly ask that you would open your bountiful hand, the one on which we always depend. Give us our daily supply for what we need today and teach us to let you take care of the rest. Though in many respects we have been disobedient and ungrateful children, yet we beg you, compassionate Father, to forgive us our offences. We know we are guilty in your book, with debts we can never repay. But please forgive those debts, even as we forgive others, even those who have offended and injured us. We ask for the same kind of pardon we are willing to extend to others. And do not bring us into places of pressing temptation, where we would lose our integrity and our soul would be endangered. But if we must be tried, graciously rescue us from the power of the evil one, that he would not triumph. We know you can do these things for your children, and we humbly trust you will, because yours is the universal kingdom, the fullness of almighty power, and the glory of infinite perfection. To you be the praise of all forever. So may it be, we sincerely and earnestly desire that you may be glorified and our prayers heard and accepted. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs now. Guys are going to come back up. The first is an old hymn. Come thou, fount of every blessing. And there is a line in one of the verses there which says, what's it say? Here I raise my Ebenezer. And I've often heard people say, what on earth? What does that mean? It's just a reminder, as we've heard today, it's a reminder that God has done much for us. Ebenezer was just the name of a rock that was put up by Samuel to remind the people of God's goodness and the fact that he had provided for them in their battle with the Philistines. And we have many rocks of remembrance in our lives, I pray we do, that we can point back to and say, yes, the Lord has blessed me thus far and he will do in the, in, will do in the future. So I just pray that as we sing this song, that you will just offer it up as a prayer to Almighty God. Thank you.